Good evening, Patriots. And tonight is Sunday, July 23rd in the year 2023. It's been a pretty casual evening other than, or this weekend, other than processing about what will I think in the end will be about 70 pints of applesauce that I've made from our apple tree, which has been a lot of apples. Let me tell you, that's a lot of apples to be cutting and boiling and stewing down and putting through the food mill and then keeping it hot and getting your jars done and then putting in the pressure canner. Yeah, it's a lot of work, (laughs) but it's good applesauce, which is awesome, which is the great thing. But uh, anyway, before we get going tonight, MyPillow.com, it's a definite big part of the Patriot culture these days. And it's a great set of, it's a great place to go to get all the things you need for your bedroom and good night's sleep. Um, They've got amazing deals going on right now. And they've got some anniversary deals with a special deal going on in their Giza cotton pillows. It's a new pillow. You might want to check it out. My pillow is a, um, uh, you know, it's funny because it's, I just kind of laugh at the amount of really me pushing pillows and stuff. And I, I truly love their product. I think it's a fantastic product. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash bards. MyPillow.com forward slash bards. That's our landing page over there. Check it out. They've got some great sales going on this week and some great anniversary sales for their Giza cotton pillow that's out it's a special deal and you're not gonna ever go wrong with my pillow because we know that you know my pillow is literally the the patriot company i wish we had about 300 of them which we could use but they have uh, some of the specials they have going on right now include the, the uh, 20th anniversary my pillow which is a limited edition my pillow They've got kitchen towels. On sale. I need to get some of those. I'm short, especially doing canning this weekend. 25% off on that. They have the all-season slippers, which are down to as low as $20 to $5. And then, of course, this new MyPillow 2.0, which I think is a big deal. And they've got that on with a four-pack. So it's the two pillows plus two small travel pillows. And that's all those savings with are yours with your BARDS code, B-A-R-D-S. So check it out. Head on over. Plus, they've got some other overstock sales that are going on. So it's all good stuff. And it's always a good gift to give to somebody who is especially just awakening or is not quite awake yet. But you know they're going to love that pillow. And then they're going to have to come to the root of realization that, oh, my goodness. Literally, like, I'm sleeping on a Mike Lindell product. Yes, you are. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. You know, as I spent the weekend to a large degree literally processing, making and processing applesauce on the weekend. And we have, a, we have an old, I should say it's, a, it's an older apple tree, but it's an heirloom tree. And I'm pretty sure this is, we're pretty sure it's, it's called a transparent apple. Not a real popular apple you're going to find around because they don't, they don't sell well for a lot of reasons. Um, they're not designed to be transported into stores. And they are, um, when they're, if you like a firm, crisp apple, that's going to be when they're very young and they're pretty tart. And then as they mature a bit, they get to be kind of soft 
and not, not as much crispy meat. So it's kind of an interesting apple. I did a lot of research on it. It just reminds me about how many things we select out of our world because we are so brainwashed and informed, even more than brainwashed, we're formed into what is considered to be standard. So, you know, we have the, in the sense of apples is always a great discussion because you have the red delicious and then you've got a few other varieties that are constantly in the commercial range. Most of those are genetically modified to, to allow for uh, the delivery of a product to market. And then if you start to do some deeper research, you'll discover that even the red delicious, many of them are red are yellow and they've been, they're being painted literally so that they, with a food dye. So they look like another type of apple. I mean, just what we go through in our food in our commercial food is just nightmarish and it's unhealthy. But these apples are real interesting because when you put them into, you just cut them up and you just throw them into your, in your stock pot and you, add a bit of water and I, and I add just a bit of honey and then I just let them cook and let them cook for about five hours. And within about, a, about 45 minutes to an hour, they break down almost immediately into a, a softer applesauce mush. And so it was in reading the history of them, they were very popular in the old world for doing apples and, and apple fillings and stuff like that, or um, apple pies and apple fillings, which is no surprise. So I'm now somewhere after this, I'm going to go process 24 more pints. And I think by the time I get to the morning, it'll be somewhere around 60 or 70 pints of, of applesauce that we have. All pressure can and ready to go. But it was the whole process this weekend for me is I'm just kind of spending time quietly with myself and with God. And as we're going through all this and just reflecting on the old world. We've, we've really stepped a long ways away from what was fundamentally pretty easy in the old world. And what that is today, everything becomes very complicated. I'm using a pressure canner, and as I'm using the pressure canner, by the way, all American makes probably the best pressure canner around. And I'm thinking back to the story my grandmother told with her pressure canner, they were pressure canning noodles or pressure cooking some noodles for uh, dinner. And uh, there was an explosion and there was a, a flaw in the lid and it, it literally blew up. I think our standards are better now, at least I hope. Otherwise, it, you know, these things become like a bomb. But in all seriousness, it's a great, all America makes a great canner. But just reflecting on some of the old world realities and how much emphasis there used to be around cooking and preparation. We make this big deal about refrigeration. It's an example. In fact, I'm going up to Portland probably next weekend to take a look at a 10 foot by 10 foot walk-in freezer for the new butchery. But even at that, I mean, we're all dependent on electricity. And as I'm out here cooking today and just or using the pressure canner, I'm, I'm remarking about how, you know, we can pressure can just about everything, and we don't need any refrigeration to keep it. Applesauce is what I'm doing today. I'll be doing some raw meat, which if you pressure can meat in the raw, it'll cook it in there, and then it seals it, and then you can keep it for literally 10 years on the shelf, no refrigeration. All of these things were older world ideas that in the age of convenience, and it's getting more so. 
people are walking away from what are just fundamentally ways that we used to live and going into ways to participate in a fantasy. And God doesn't play in fantasy. He plays in real. And that's becoming really increasingly focused. And as I'm spending some time, I spent the whole weekend up on the ranch, and I just, it's just a very refreshing period to kind of just recoup from a long week of just regular work. But there's a lot of reality that in the daily lives when we're, when we're up and around things that don't ex- does not exist in a digital space. And I know that's easy to say, but it's, I don't think we realize it so much until we start to get into the rhythm of things. I'm in this strange place that God's placed me where I spend 17 shows a week and research puts me a lot of time, screen time, which builds a lot of perspectives and perceptions of what this world is about. And there is a definite cancer in this world. And the problem is I think it takes us into a reality of believing that it's everywhere. And we forget in that process, which is by design, that we're actually the sovereigns of this world. And so as we kind of get sucked into the vortex of all the negative and the problems, we, we cease to see the beauty that's around us. So as I'm sitting out on the porch earlier today, just taking a break, and I looked up and there's a, barn swallows have put up a couple nests around the house, which I've been hesitant to take down only because, not only because they had babies in them, but barn swallows are fantastic for keeping bugs down. And so sitting out on the porch in the evening, there's no bugs. There's a lot of barn swallows. It's probably, a, there was a whole bunch of them that came in the other night, about 20 of them that all of a sudden just exploded out of nowhere right out in front of the porch. And they're just just taking on the bugs. And there's no bugs. There's We don't have much anyway in terms of bugs, but there's not, there's no flies. There's no, well, when I'm sitting out there, there's no flies. There's no gnats. There's no, there's no mosquitoes. And in, because the pest control has been called, and those are the, those are the barn swallows. And so as I'm sitting here talking, then I'm watching up and the mother barn swallow has come in. And I realize that this nest up there does have babies. And they're they're not real loud, but just watching her feed them and watching those little mouths come up across the edge of the nest. And just remarking at how that is her mission and her goal to protect, to feed, to nurture her children. And it's not a question. I don't even think if you if you were able to communicate with an, an animal, say like a barn swallow, if you were able to communicate with them and say, hey, would you like to abort your child? I don't even think they would understand what you said. Because I don't think that concept exists in their world. Matter of fact, I know it doesn't. And as I'm watching this and watching this beauty of a mother taking care of its children and the babies, you know, hungry and the, the beaks that are probably bigger than their heads and she's 
going out and grabbing. She's got all sorts of food she's regurgitating for him. And what's really interesting is that when she flies away, they get quiet. And they just instinctively know that they, and I didn't even know they were there until that just a little bit ago. And they've been there for a while. And I just keep reflecting on us as humans and what's happened to us. You know, I've got, I have my lame cow out here. She's got a bad right knee. And we haven't really been able to do much for her. And I, I don't know that we're going to be able to do much for her just by nature of what this injury is. But she's not giving up. She's just found a way to get herself close enough to the water. And there's plenty of grass around. And she takes rest on it. And I'll, if I need to, I go out and I stir her up so she can move a little bit. But she's in a good place. And she knows her duty, which is she's carrying a calf and she's going to bring it into the world. And that's just, there's no question about that. So, you know, I, I keep going down to us as humans and I'm really not sure where we went wrong and where we've stepped off this path to where as a culture we've embraced the idea that sacrificing one of our young is going to be good for us and good for the world and and that's really the one of the biggest challenges that I think that we have overall is trying to re resurrect the principal issues of what, what it is to be human. We're under a pretty intense fight, and unfortunately it's been such a well-orchestrated fight that people don't even realize it happened. And we're being waddled to some degree and herded in others into this massive trap that is ultimately going to be people's free will that will terminate their who they are as human beings. And I just can't imagine what that must be like as God watches his children after he gave them authorities, he's given them everything, to literally choose to walk away from him. He sacrificed his son, and yet people doubt that Jesus is real. He has given us words in Scripture, and people question whether the Bible's valid because it's been translated or because it's whatever it is. And we're, we're missing the whole point of walking in the Holy Spirit. And it's just a constant process that I think that with this noise and this confusion in this world, this enemy is reveling in the fact that people are getting so consumed by the daily minutia that we're being pulled away from the fundamentals of what we're supposed to be doing. When we're out doing things with our hands, whatever that is, and we're doing that with a conscious and active process of letting and inviting God in, our world looks very different our world becomes very secure. In fact, I would argue the only reason that things begin to get bad in our lives at one point or another is we kick the door open to fear and we tend to doubt. 
But there's some other issues here, too, that this brings up, which is the relationship that we have with God. And I've seen this happen enough this last week to really kind of have to reflect on it and realize that I think there's there's some misconceptions with the walk in God of the idea that when we say he will provide everything, there is this idea that, that we don't have to do anything. That God will provide everything, and I just need to wait. Or God will provide everything, so if God gives me a nudge to run this way or that way, I'm just going to go, and he'll provide everything. And I don't really think that's correct either. So I think as we're trying to find our walk with Father, I think one of the challenges is to come to the reality that we have a, a conversation with him that's ongoing. So let's say that you get a nudge to go do something. I want to, you get a nudge and Father encourages you to race off and leave your job and go somewhere and, and start ministering to a, to a small group of people. And, I, it, and there is a part there that we, we talk about a lot of times of faith and having faith to do such a thing. But there's also a piece here in the discussion with Father. I, I, we have to be honest with Father to know where we are and what, are, what we're honest in our hearts. So if we don't have resources to do something or if we are waiting for something to happen, we need to have these conversations to say, this is how I understand this or I, I'm not seeing this as possible. Sometimes it's going to be just go, and so you do, and we find the rewards. But there's other times that when we place our, our honesty in our heart, there's, an, there's a reality and a perspective that we have that part of that walk that we have with Father is he's enjoying that walk with us to learn how we see the world. And as we do, there's another level of growth that happens there and an exchange and blessings that come in different ways. And I really think this is important because there's so much right now in this pressure of where we are. That I, I think that for the most part, if the door opened for us to leave and like head across the Red Sea right now, I think a bunch of us would be like, game on. Because this world is literally at the point of insanity. And in that push, in that kind of feeling of that, there's a lot of anxiety to want to race off and do things. And there's an important point here to also remain grounded in him. And I really need to say that because things, some of the greatest barriers we'll face in our life, we create because we're waiting for that perfect thing that God's going to deliver to us. So we're, we're getting a nudge from Father and we're racing off, but we're forgetting that sometimes what he shows us isn't for the immediate it's a destiny of where we're going. And we still have responsibilities on the ground of what we have to do, and we need to take care of those. And this was just thoughts I had all weekend that I was just kind of flowing through for a variety of reasons. And I was that was circling me back to Paul as his business as a tent maker. And the toil that that had to take to build that tent business and still do his ministry. And even though he did his ministry, he, 
and he never left that tent business, at least to our knowledge. I'm not saying he didn't leave it at all, but there was a point where that tent business funded what he was doing. Tent maker. But you know, he took those skills with him. He had those skills. And so that is such a, an important piece because he has something that he can port with him. And no matter where he went, if he had to raise money, earn money, whatever, he would have the ability to pull on those skills to do just that. That's one of the things God has given me, which has just been an amazing gift, is an ability to pick up my studio and take it anywhere to do podcasting. And that's just part of how he's put this walk before me. But I think that walk is open to all of us when we start to really understand how he intends to use us in this world. But it's all about getting us back to simpler paths and away from a lot of this craziness that's going on out here. In the county that I grew up, it was seen as normal, in fact, not just normal, but expected as a young man, certain things that you would know how to do. You should know how to hunt. You should know, and I'm in the county I grew up, so to be clear, I'm back here. Just where I grew up here. You were expected to learn how to hunt as a young man. You were expected to learn how to process the animals that you killed. You were expected to know how to preserve that food, process that food, not just in skinning and cutting, but how to preserve it. And that was as important in the operation of what you were doing as it was hunting. Same with fishing. You were also expected to know how to cook. When I was eight years old, I was fishing down at the river. I'd go down with a, a friend of mine, a neighbor. His name was Mark Harris. And we would leave on a Friday night, and he and I would walk down to the river together. Mark was about four years older than me. So an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old, and this is the world I lived in. It was a wonderful world. And we'd cross the road, and we'd go down onto the riverbank, and we'd go through a little place called Heston's Landing, and we'd get a little entry point, and then we would walk all the way along the river till we found a good fishing hole and we'd carry our backpacks and we had a tent and uh, we brought, I always remember we'd bring everything we needed to build a fire and, and cook our food. And we, at eight years old and 12 years old, he and I were, and he might've been 13, but anyway, he was in that range, 12 or 13. Um, we were out every week fishing and bringing home fish, trout, rainbow trout from the Umpqua River, which is awesome. But we would cook our dinner with the trout that we, we caught. And we would take our, have our trout, and we would wrap it in foil many times and add things and cook it in the fire and do kind of one of these casserole, I don't know what you call it anymore, it's a foil wrap cook inside the, the charcoal of the fire. So, and no parental supervision, no worry about some predatorial pervert trying to pick you up it was just living and being and doing and the expectations were that was part of how you grew up and knew things today when we start talking about men doing cooking it's unless you're barbecuing if you're cooking you're either a chef or you're like hmm I wonder if that guy's kind of gay I mean this is where we've gone it's so ridiculous and 
if you don't know how to, if, if someone says like, well, we're, we're processing, I'm going to be canning applesauce. You're like, well, that's kind of a weird way to spend a weekend. That's not the way I grew up. In fact, I just got off the phone with a person you may have met it, you may have seen at uh, Bard's Fest. His name's Jared. He lives up by me. And he was at, um, he's a friend of Pastor Anthony's. And we were kind of talking about the same thing, just about the lifestyles of being out of the city and getting back to the basics. You know, we have a, our garden is just blowing up in the house in town and um, we're going to end up doing a lot of pressure canning this year just so we can put it on the shelf rather than put it in the freezer. And it's a, this weekend as I'm up here, my parents are literally doing things like studying the looking at the plants, figuring out what, what's going on with a couple of them that aren't producing real well. They're cleaning out shelves to make more storage space. The life of what we do is not one that we're trying to escape from. And in this time of year, because there's so much harvest going on, this is a time to prepare for winter. But in the worlds that we're in right now, there's a lot of, we get a lot of this distorted because we live in a life of convenience and in the life of convenience, all of those sorts of labors are passed off onto somebody else. We don't face the realities anymore that if I don't produce, if I don't, if I don't preserve, I'm not going to eat for the winter. And that sort of legacy knowledge is what really builds us as people. And it's what takes us away from being that person that sees the world through the eyes of the internet to the one that sees the world on just real terms. And it doesn't matter whether your food is, if you can still get food at the grocery store or not. It's a way, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of seeing the world that you're going to take what God gives us and the true wealth in our world comes from what we're able to nurture and grow and that our hand is involved in it. You know, so I end up with, I'll end up with, like I said, about 60 or 70 jars of applesauce. And one of the things that's nice about that is a, it's an ability to also share. And that's also just a reflection of the bounty of not letting anything go to waste. You can let the apples fall. You can throw them into the compost. You can throw them out on the street for the deer or whatever. But we're trying to, we're trying to live into a life right now in more and more in, in a greater way of stewardship to where everything is used and nothing is wasted. And when we start to get back to those principles, everything about how we live changes. We become very intentional about what we purchase. We become, we invest in things that will last us time over time, not just be a one-off use. I was, I went down to the local hardware store. They've got a sale on jars and I think now I've in the last two trips I've filled up the jeep with jars canning jars ball canning jars and I'm just I'm just going to keep buying them I'll, I'll probably build an inventory of five or five or seven hundred new ones this year and all of them will be used and that's an investment because as they're used now they'll be reused and all of these are values of old because the new values are still, such, it's such a disposable way of living. When you live in a digital world, in an internet world, there's really nothing that you preserve. Everything is going to change. It's going to update. You're going to get, uh, an app is going to be erased. It's it, everything, the labor and the, and the 
value of what we create has really no lasting term to it. Everything is just about disposability. But when we get to old world, everything has about lasting. You know, I, I spent, I try to buy things once as much as possible. And it doesn't mean it's cheap either because I don't, I don't like buying junk. And I have some stainless steel pots that I'm using that I'm, were not cheap and for the kitchen that are basically double walled. And what a difference that makes as an example, because now as you're canning and you're using equipment that's well built for that purpose and it's usually American made as well. Everything is a process now. Of it, it retains heat. And the process gets smoother. Your equipment holds up. But you know that that will be there next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. All of things are just reflections as I'm going through this. And I, as I'm walking with this and I'm reflecting back on the biblical times, there's not one thing in, the, in Scripture that talks about being wasteful. There's not one thing in Scripture that talks about living for convenience instead of God. There's not one thing in Scripture that talks about a disposable world. There's not one thing in Scripture that says don't value children. And I'm asking myself over and over, how did we get here? That sparrow's never read the Bible, or that, that barnswallow's never read the Bible. The cows never read the Bible. And yet their native sense of nurturing and taking care of their children, their, their offspring, and doing so in, in protecting their own bodies so that they, like the cow that so she can deliver. She's not trying to roll over and roll herself down the hill so she has a self-inflicted abortion. And then as I sit and I look at this stack of jars that are stacked up with, with applesauce. And in a modern day, that I, and I reflected on this today, it's like the modern day lens would be, wow, you know, why do we need so much? Because we can just go down and buy some. And the lens of old, which is how I see it, is like, wow, this is awesome. Look at that portion I can immediately give out to other people and the portion that we can have for ourselves to make sure we have stuff for a rainy day and then always having some in reserve in case somebody needs or wants some. That's God's world. And yet we live in this constant cycle of things still of disposability. I mean, just go down into any hardware store. I mean, for that sense, go to Walmart. And there's a, we have a regional version of a Walmart, which is called Bymart. And it's a, it's a nice store, but my point is everything is about trying to get the best value. Go to a store and try to find a store where everything is about the highest quality so that you won't have to buy it again. Good luck. But we live in this constant disposable culture. I, I can't, I was reflecting as well as I'm looking at this, you know, the, what I'm using here for canning and just how many hours I literally spent researching to find things that I wouldn't have to rebuy. I mean, like well-built, 
typically if I can American built stuff, the hours that I've spent researching things so that I can buy something that's not junk. And when I'm down today and I'm at the at the hardware store looking at stuff and I'm like, you know, there's there's a plastic thing that'll last a season and it'll be gone. You know, there's a there's a pretty flimsy piece of something or other and that it'll be one season and it'll be gone. Plastic this, plastic that. China made this, China made that, junk, junk, junk. And where's it going to end up? It's going to end up in our landfills. And we're just going to go buy it again. And I'm like, where is that scripturally? Because we know it's not there. So it kind of brings us back then to literally where, where we're walking these days. And it's a choice. And it's a choice every single day that we have to make if we're going to go for the long game or if we're going to go for just short-term satisfaction. And we have to balance the resources we have with the objective of what we want to acquire or do need. But when we start to put a focus on building a world where we're not going to dispose of things, we're going to do with less, but what we acquire is going to be of deeper value. We're going to make a world of handmade, not not just convenience. Someone shared a piece of news too. I, and right now I can't even remember what it was, but it's something to do with Biden, which I don't even, whatever. But it's funny because I've been so buried into what's going on at the ranch. I hadn't even, I didn't realize I hadn't even looked at news. And boy, what a refreshing point that was. And so it kind of brings me to my point in all of this is what happens if we don't pay attention to them? What happens if we just say, I'm not going to pay attention to you anymore. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I'm going to listen to God. Sorry. The only channel I'm tuning into is God's channel. Everything else I don't care about. We're not going to hear any more hype about Russians getting ready to go to war with NATO and NATO saying it's going to sink Russian ships in the Black Sea. It's like, okay, good. Can't control it. Don't care. But the, the escalation of that's always the same. It's people like, oh, it's going to be a nuclear war. It's like, can't control it, don't care. Instead, I'm going to put more time into canning or hunting or working with the cattle or building with the butchery or making sure the bees are doing well and they're set up for the winter or whatever else that comes out, right? Those are the things that make a difference, making sure you've got seeds coming up and making sure you've got your garden prepped and you're tending to what you have this year to maximize your preservation of food from what the garden bounty is giving you and being prepared and planning what that next phase is going to be. Are you going to have a greenhouse? Are you going to have chickens? Are you going to have rabbits? These are fundamental things. And it doesn't matter, like I said, whether you whether the economy falls or doesn't fall. We're all pretty much in the same boat thinking it will at some point, but Let's just say it doesn't. Let's just say all this stuff about the burning down of food processing plants and the, you know, and none, none of it happens. It just blows over because they've shifted over to alternate methods of agriculture production like vertical agriculture and lab-grown meat. There's going to be a whole bunch of people out there that are going to be just fine with it. They wouldn't know the difference between a lab-grown meat and a steak because the steak, both of them are raised almost identical unless you go to grass-fed and natural. But this is just the point. 
they're living all within the circle of the matrix. And when we make a decision to start doing everything in accountable accountability to God and literally sitting still and being with him and then doing our work around us, this our work, our responsibility. God's not going to grow your garden. You need to. God is not going to be able to build a second income base or a, or a foundational base so you can do ministry. You need to do it. The doors of opportunity will open, but it's your responsibility, my responsibility. God isn't going to just give you a job. You have to go out and seek it. And it may not be a perfect place. I mean, I've been doing media for since 2005. That's 18 years I've been doing media. And it really didn't all come together until 2020. And I've done a lot of things in between then. Because you have to still, you still have to function. And so all we have these responsibilities on this earth, but as we start to lean into him and he guides us, then it just means we have to work harder. But as we do those things and we take the responsibility and accountability in our lives, we go farther from them. And what do they have on us? Besides constant agitation of creating fear porn in our mind, I don't know what else they have. If you don't pay your taxes, the IRS is going to take everything and throw you in jail. Okay. You know, fear, fear, fear. Study, learn, figure out if that's actually legal. We have to take our power back. They don't want us to think. They want us to obey. If you get your, if they do the CBDC, then we're going to be told exactly where we have to shop. That's exactly right. That's what will happen. So don't go, don't do the CBDC. You know, I, well, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get my my money and I don't get my retirement. I don't get my this. It's like you need to pray and you need to start just really digging into the things that we've talked about and understand that we've been living it as a slave. So you want to be a slave or you want to be a sovereign? And that's ultimately where all this comes down to. It's a simple question. Do you want to be a slave or do you want to be sovereign? And the, the answer, unfortunately, for many is they'll say it. They might say, oh, I don't want to be a slave, but they do. And that's the saddest part of it all is they do want to be slaves because they don't want to step out and take the accountability and responsibility necessary to truly walk in the gifts of what kingdom gave us, what kingdom has given us. Father God has blessed us with everything we need. Even though our world is so upside down, we can't figure it out. But it all comes down to some pretty fundamental things that are not that difficult. Nurture the children and protect them and raise them well. Sow seeds physically and spiritually. Be accountable for everything that you do. And be willing to stand before the throne for every thought, every action, every breath that you've taken. And understand you will, whether you want to or not, be willing to, because there is true repentance and there is the refining fires of of heaven and understand that in this world 
while we have key commissions to do, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, greater works than he. All of those happen on the foundations of us living in this world as in the flesh because that's part of our experience. And that means there's a lot of hard toil. Sometimes we don't get to do exactly what we want. But those principal issues of us walking with Father, we always forget this love of the peace because we say, well, I'm waiting for a job, for example, or I'm waiting for this, it's going to be perfect. Except we forget something. God's sharing the walk with us. So when we're walking with him, everything is part of the experience of life. And we're not trying to run from it. We're not trying to create short-term satiation. We're trying to preserve and create an experience in life that we share with Father, we walk with Father on, that grows us, refines us, because what we do in life echoes in eternity. It's pretty much that simple. And I don't think, I think that from there we just get, things just get so sideways. We've got to get back to the older ways, ancient paths, Jeremiah 6.16. And we need to really reflect where we are on whether we're living in the world of convenience and disposable disposability or whether we're living in the world of a long marathon, valuing everything that's around us and everything we do. Even in crisis, it's a value because it's part of us being refined and it's part of us walking in that experience with Father. So just as kind of a final thought for this tonight. When you're stuck in a moment and things seem like to be overwhelming, when the world may seem to be bigger than you want it to be, when things aren't coming together with where you expect them to be, when you're waiting for God to give you something that you really think that he'll deliver, ask him, invite him to the table and ask him really what he wants for you. Because sometimes I think you'll be pretty surprised. Sometimes the process, when we invite him in, what seems to be the worst or the impossible or the, the least, least interesting to us becomes the most fascinating. Because we've invited him in and he's walking with us and what comes out of it is greater than anything we could have possibly imagined. just some thoughts in walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're blessed for all you've given, just truly humbled for this world that we have and just praise you for the, the grace and the glory of everything that we provide. This has been a kind of a, just a real interesting last few days, as you know, in my own reflections, Father. And just looking at the world and where we are and trying to really realize that as we try to run around and save everything, that sometimes the greatest saving that can happen is us just sitting still and being with you. That truly as part, much as we are trying to build out, we also need to build in. And we need to spend time with you and 
remember that you are a jealous God, and rightfully so, because you love us immensely. And so we need to open the door and invite you in, even in times when we think we're not ready. Even in times when we think that the house isn't quite clean enough or the table's not quite prepared enough. We need to open the door and invite you in and let you meet us where we are. So, Father, thank you for this this unlimited love that you give us. A love that you just continue to pour out to remind us that you're walking with us. The question is, are are we willing to walk with you? And if we can really pivot to that point on everything that we do, every breath, every step. We also know that the doors will open that we could never imagine to be open. So thank you, Father. Thank you for everything you do. Just humbly thank you. So much beyond words. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So just invite him in. You know, this world we have around us is just, it's mind-numbing. You know, I, I thought about this today. It's a very interesting perspective. Actually, it was last night, because I was late last night, after somewhere after, during and after I was installing a amb- ambidextrous safety on my 1911, which was another, it was a fun adventure. And I was, as I was looking for instructional videos on our YouTube university on how to install an ambidextric safety on a 1911, which is kind of gunsmith stuff. I was just remarking how in all the things that we see, we always see what the enemy looks like when it fights us. We always see what evil looks like when it fights us. And if you follow a series, like we'll just take Captain America or you take Spider-Man or you take, you know, Batman, ultimately all of them turn dark in the motive of who they are because they eventually become that which they have fought. That's kind of the, the anti-heroine or anti-hero model that Hollywood promotes. But, you know, it's interesting that in all of the brain programming that we've been given, and it's intentional, by the way, what I'm going to say, we don't know what it looks like. We have never been shown what it looks like, how to fight, how heaven's soldiers fight against evil. I won't say never, but it's very rare. And I just let take that to prayer for a little bit. Because what does it look like, truly, if you were to do a movie of God's army under the banner of Christ without having to wait? I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about when Jesus comes and the chariots fly from heaven. I'm talking about right now. What does that look like of an army that fights evil and wins? It's an interesting thought because I'm not saying there aren't any movies, but there's very few. We love to talk about the personal struggles. We love to talk about the coming to Jesus, but we also always find the 
the multitude of stories of how even those that are have come to Christ end up getting vandalized or victimized by evil. I just watched a video from Portland the other day, Friday. A pastor that was pastoring up there, Antifa came up, and they started screaming at the at the pastor and his group, where's your God now? Where's your God now? As they took the podium piece and ripped out the mic. And I'm like, wow, there's something very wrong in this picture. Because we're missing the warrior Christ, and yet we don't know how to bring it, bring it about in this world. And so we turn into not meek, but weak. We've got to step into being our sovereign. We have to define again and learn what that means. And we have to be bold, and we have to start stop living their cycle of a disposable life and start living the foundations of what God intends us to be, which are stewards of this world. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.